Good evening. Uh, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm preaching my morning sermon for the second time. So, so I ought to be good at it by now. Um, it's a series that I'm doing. I'm, I, I'm doing a series on the Christian life. It's technically called, in the, in, you know, in medicine you have your, tech, your specialized vocabulary. In law you have your specialized vocabulary. In theology you have your specialized vocabulary. It's technically called ascetical theology. But not everybody responds positively when you say ascetical theology. It's the study of Christian discipline with a view toward Christian maturity. And I think it's something that we need to be clear on. I need to be clear on, and my church needs to be clear on. And maybe you're clear on it, but maybe I can just remind you of stuff you already know. So what I want to do is read in First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 where the six words that I want to preach on actually are found. I want to preach on good stewards of God's varied grace. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray once again and ask God's blessing. Oh, Lord God, we pray once again that you would bless the ministry of the word. We thank you for your word, and we pray that none of us would just hear me speaking, but that your Holy Spirit would speak in all of our hearts powerfully in ways that we can't ignore. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, it's a series about the Christian life, and this is about the grace of God it's kind of important in the Christian life. This, this passage gives us that line, which gives me all I need for, for us to talk about it. Good stewards of God's varied grace. And the old King James, which even though it was 400 years ago, ma- manages to sound quite industrial. Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So I want to do three things. I want to look at the context briefly. And then I want to look at two things there specifically in those words, defining and understanding the manifold grace of God, and then the idea of being good stewards. What are we supposed to do? As far as the context, Peter starts out talking about the times in which we live, doesn't he? In verse 7, in the New Testament, the present age that we are living in is overlapping with a new age, the coming age has already begun. And so there's an overlap between old and new creation, and it is happening in us. And in a sense, that's the Christian life. Jesus Christ began the new creation. He lives on that plane. He lives in the new principle. He rose in power and glory and without corruption. He lives, his life is incorruptible beyond the possibility of decay or sickness in a spiritual body, which we hope also 
to have. Because we're living in that overlap, having been born again to the new, the old is doomed, right? And the new has been born in us, and we live according to that new principle. And the spiritual life is about understanding that, perceiving that. As Peter says, it should be, therefore, a life of sobriety and watchfulness, not intoxicated, right, but self-controlled. Don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. What's it, what does the Spirit do? The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You have full agency for God. Not sleepy, not indifferent, not dull towards spiritual reality, but alive and alert towards spiritual reality. And we live a life of prayer because the heart of the spiritual life is communion with God. That is what spiritual means, right? Born of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, illuminated in your heart and affections by the Spirit, and prayer. Prayer is at the heart of communion with God. In verse 8, Peter talks about love, charity. He gives you a hint about something important in that verse when he talks about charity covering, love covering a multitude of sins. Somebody sins against you. You may have to work at it, but... Somebody sins against you, and you should forgive and forget. Love absorbs. As we grow up, we realize, don't we, how much our parents absorbed sins that we committed against them. Just as parents, parents, you you as parents, when you're parents, you know you absorb things that your children do. Mature people absorb things that others do against them and forgive and forget. And love covers a multitude of sins. The interesting hint you get there about the spiritual life is that the aim is not to eradicate sin. Now, when you're mortifying sin, you want to try to eradicate your sin, but you're not going to succeed. You don't in this life eradicate sin out of yourself. And you can't make the goal of the spiritual life, though you're trying to eradicate sin, you can't make just the goal of your spiritual life to be sin-free something that's entirely negative because you can't become, you'll become a vacuum and then you'll just suck other sins in. You can't be a vacuum of sin. You have to have a positive aim. You can't just eliminate sin merely, but there has to be something that is crowding sin out, as it were, in your life. Something that captures your attention more. Something that holds your mind and controls your affections, your desires. A positive goal that organizes and makes sense of your resistance to sin and that grows you in that positive aversion, right? your, your, even your reluctance to sin. And what is that? Well, I think that has a lot to do with charity, with love of God. And then it overflows into others. And that's what Peter tells us in verse 9 in hospitality. It overflows. Your love for God becomes a love for God's people and overflows in hospitality. And so we arrive at our verse, verse 10. So, in the context of the new creation, in the context of love for each other, that increasingly dominant charity that is the mark of the kingdom of Christ, in the context of the purpose also, in verse 10, the purpose of our spiritual gifts, we hear about being God or good stewards of God's varied grace. So, That's the context. Now I want to talk about grace, and then I want to talk about 
the stewardship. What is grace and how can we think about it so that we have a a useful idea that we can use in the Christian life? It calls grace varied or manifold because it is the source of many things, right? You can see hospitality in verse 9. In verse 11, you see a person speaking and a person serving. You can see all kinds of lists of spiritual gifts, different things that you do, and people go through the various lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. It's many things, and in that way it's varied. But it is also varied in that grace is a rich concept. What's the most traditional definition of grace that you can have? It's God's unmerited favor, his benevolent disposition, God's disposition toward the undeserving. And we can think about God's grace also as an effect that God causes. Like I was just saying, the fruit of the Spirit is an effect that God causes. And that's grace, isn't it? True repentance, faith, hope, love. Those are graces that God causes. Grace is thought of of as the effect of that cause. But it is not wrong to think of grace also as the cause of these effects. And in that way, it is also varied. I want to say three things about grace, thinking about it as the effect that causes gracious effects. Rather, the cause, sorry. Cause that causes gracious effects. I need to get my cause and effect straight. I want to say three things about grace. Grace is the presence of God. Grace is the antidote to sin. And grace is what is perfecting you. Grace is the presence of God. That should not be controversial. It's the principle of the the spiritual life. What's the mystery that Paul talks about in Colossians? Christ in you, the hope of glory, God himself. Or as Henry School puts it in his remarkable book, uh, according to John Piper, remarkable. Yes, remarkable, nevertheless. The life of God. In the soul of man. That's the spiritual life. That's grace. Christ has the spirit without measure in his exaltation. Christ rules. Why does he have to leave? Because he has to be physically absent. He has to be physically on the throne ruling. Because as the king, he's kind of the valve through which the spirit comes to humankind. And so he is physically absent but he is spiritually present in the Holy Spirit, which comes from on high, and Christ rules by his Spirit in you, God's presence in us. And the Spirit of God is the principle of the dominion of God, the kingdom of God in our midst. The presence of God is the principle of the spiritual life. The Spirit of God is mentioned in Zechariah 12.10, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace. Grace is the presence of God. God's grace is a double gift. God himself, who is the cause and the effects, the graces that he brings about. And that is, this is not a mechanical thing. It is relational. It is personal. So it's not like getting electricity or water or gas. If it were like that way, like an electric charge, a spiritual electric charge, 
then we would need to know about transformers, spiritual transformers, and spiritual voltage and wires in order to be good stewards, wouldn't we? But we are cultivating a relationship with the living God. God himself is in us. At the heart of the Christian life in good stewardship, then, is communion with God. That's why we need to master the disciplines of the Christian life. What are you supposed to be a good steward of? A relationship with God. A growing communion with God. Growing love and delight and obedience. And if you are a true believer, then God is in you. You have been crucified. And you no longer live, but Christ is the one who lives in you. John Owen was very interested in all these topics. And he wrote a lot about them. He had a book that he wrote called Communion with God. You've probably heard about it. But this is what John Owen said that nobody had said before and, and was kind of unusual. He said, wait, there's three persons, aren't there? And so there's communion with the Father. And that's different from communion with the Son. And that's different from communion with the Spirit because you have a different relation with each person. And he writes about that in his book on communion with God and explains how they're different. And if you, if you know John Owen is tough sledding, but if you can handle John Owen, then maybe you want to check it out. Why did John Owen write about these things? Because he was interested in being a good steward and in helping people to become good stewards of the varied grace of God, and you should be too. Now, the object of the Christian life is not merely to be free from sin. That is a negative objective, which if you think about it, like I said before, will just turn you into a vacuum and suck other, thing, other sins in instead. The object of the Christian life is to grow in grace, to commune with God more, to open the channels for God's purposes, for God's power, so that it flows through you and crowds out sin and so that there's more of God in you and that weakens and that destroys sin. And in that sense, grace is the antidote to sin. You can't kill sin. God does it for you. If you aim merely to exterminate sin, it will create that vacuum. You need to replace. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him do what? Work and be generous and replace what is there. You should resist and mortify sin, but you need an incentive. You need something positive. You can't aim at not being something. You have to aim at being something, something that God wants, a good steward of God's manifold grace. Verse 9 gives us an example, being hospitable without grumbling. Have you ever met people or have you ever been the person who shows mercy while scolding? the person that you show mercy to? Or have you ever been generous ungenerously in a kind of grudging, half-hearted way? It's a weird, but very for me, it's a familiar combination. How can I do it right? How can I do it purely? How can I be the kind, how can I be kind without scolding them or, or, you know, or browbeating them or being overbearing? How can I care for others without my personal agendas getting in, clouding the objective I want to achieve, trying to punish them for their stupidity while trying to help them out? How do you do that? 
You have to be purified by drawing closer to God, right? You have to leave behind yourself, that self which wants to twist the knife in people's wounds. You have to leave behind your aims, your desire for recognition, for merely doing it so that people will think you're a good person, or for acceptance with others, or for the approval of others. And you exchange it for more of God, don't you? For his approval of your, his, a desire for his recognition and for his approval of our motives and our deeds. That's the antidote to sin, serving God for God's sake because you love him, because you know him, because you're close to him, because you're being a good steward of the presence of God, which you have in you. You delight in him. How? You delight in him in meditation in thinking about his being and his attributes and what Christ has done and the life to come and the promises of God and many things in scripture and in prayer. You understand that in prayer, you're breathing in and out the spiritual atmosphere of the new creation and you're becoming full. you're, You're emptying yourself of sin because you're becoming full with all the fullness of God. Grace is the antidote to sin because God is the real destroyer and vanquisher of sin. And that's how Jesus Christ rules in you with power by his spirit. And this is perfecting you. Health is a little more than not having diseases, isn't it? It is the coordination of everything, the coherence of all your processes. Your blood pumps, your muscles are nourished and serviced. Your eyes direct you, your ears listen and orient you in the world. Your mind thinks and it all comes together. The grace of God is essential for the health of the spiritual life. It restores and coordinates your powers so that they work together properly and rightly. Peter is talking about all that in this passage. Love each other, help each other, stick together as we wait for the end. This will keep you from the distractions of the world. This will supply strength. You you have spiritual gifts. You don't have them so you can stand there and say, oh yes, I am a preacher. Oh yes, I am You know, whatever it is your spiritual gift is, you have them so that you can strengthen and help other people. That is why one will speak in fear, as he says, one will speak in fear of saying anything but what God does. The oracles of God, right? And so build up others in what God wants them to hear. One will serve, giving himself sacrificially beyond his own personal limits, right? Sacrificing perhaps in endurance, sacrificing beyond the endurance that you think you have for others, sacrificing perhaps financially, sacrificing, uh, and, and as you do, you find that you're drawing on resources that are beyond the resources that you have because you're drawing on God who is in you. Give yourself to God and God's grace working in you will take you toward greater than human aims. That's what we, did, we admire about the saints of old. If you think about Hebrews chapter 11, what, what are they all doing? They are achieving aims that are beyond those which humans naturally have and achieve because they are drawing 
on greater power. By faith, they were good stewards in all those varied situations in which the grace of God was more than sufficient. God's grace supernaturalizes your natural powers. The Holy Spirit is in you, working in your being, not to give you, you know, external superhero powers, but to empower somebody like you to walk worthy, to walk worthy of God who calls you. There are all kinds of heroic and invisible things that Christians are doing in the sight of God. Think of the widow who gave all that she had and God saw. A good steward lives to God and lives before God and in the power of God, doing what only God can do through you. Now, I want to talk a little bit more as in the last part of the sermon about being good stewards. What are we supposed to do? Three things. Always aspire to do better. Realize that it is organic, not mechanical, or even miraculous, which I hope, give me some time to explain what I mean, and make it a habit. If grace is the presence of God in us, then we need to cultivate the relationship. If we need to understand the Christian life, I I mean, I think we need to understand the Christian life as a three-stage process, and that will help us to aspire. I think sometimes we think of the Christian life as just a two-stage process, right? There's immature, and then there's mature. And I am obviously no longer immature, so I'm I'm good. I have it made. And I think we, we need three stages so that we keep on aspiring to more. Uh, it's really terrible when people don't think of any, gro- any growth, just an on-off switch to the Christian life. Have you ever met pe- people like that? They're saved, and then, well, I'm saved, so now I'm good. Maybe I need to witness a little bit. That's it. No, that's not the Christian life. You need to grow. And I think there are three stages so that you are always aspiring. Everybody knows there's a beginner stage to Christianity. If you don't believe that, then read the book of Hebrews. And you will soon find out that his problem with the the people he was writing to is that they were beginners. And they needed to move on. And he says, you should know this by now. You need to move on. Let's go on. Let's keep going. I can't explain stuff to you, he says at one point. Because you can't take it. Because you're not mature enough. And I think that was the problem, that, that they, were, they were immature and they were wavering and they wanted to go back. And it's a problem in our day. One of my motives for thinking about this and doing this series is that I heard a guy who said he'd been a Christian for two decades and he was talking about sin and the Christian life just like a beginner. And I thought, how is it possible? Why does he, not, why does he talk like a beginner? Maybe because he was stuck being a beginner. There are strong warnings in Hebrews to consider whether you really are a Christian if you're stuck, if you're stuck in the early stage. Put aside the sins that easily beset you and make some progress in fighting sin by making progress in the Christian disciplines so that you can move on from beginner to what I would say is being advanced, advanced or advancing a believer who is making progress. He understands the spiritual life and he knows what it is about. There is some success in Christian discipline. You begin to understand what you need to do in order to be faithful in prayer. You delight, you be, there begins to be some delight in meditation and communion with God. There is an understanding 
that a selfless life is much to be desired over a selfish life. There's a struggle with sin and there's a mortification which, which is mortifying sin, as, as John Owen says, in general. But I think we need the third stage to keep us advancing. And that's the stage that Paul often calls, it's sometimes translated with the word perfection. In Greek, it's just maturity. I would rather call it proficiency. When, for example, you can say with Paul, I can be abased and I can abound. What does Paul mean by that? Does he mean, yeah, when I was young and poor and now I, you know, I'm doing better financially and I'm okay with that? No, that's not what he means, is it? What he means is something more like you have your house paid off. You have your retirement that's looking pretty good. You got your cars in order. You got your kids, college, it's sorted. It's looking good. And God takes it away. And then in that circumstance, can you say, I can be abased and I can abound. I think you have to be a pretty proficient Christian. I am not there, but I aspire to it. And it keeps us who are advancing, aspiring to something more, something better. A proficient Christian, when God brings a financial calamity, can say with Paul, I know how to be abased. I know how to do it. I rely on God. If we have, I think we need that aspiration so that we are energized and committed to, as it were, our our spiritual workout so that we can be strong. Proficiency is when you delight in communion with God so much that you are seeking him in every available moment. It's just the habit. It's the habit of your heart so that you can pray for hours, giving it the time like Luther did. He would pray for three hours every day. You're efficient, you're organized in how you go about your duties so that you can get to the Lord and communion with God. It takes years. I used to think when I was young, yes, I am going to be an advanced Christian and I'm going to do it by tomorrow. And and I would get uh, myself in trouble doing that. You have to have wisdom. You have to have clear insight about spiritual things. You have to have peace and joy when it is humanly impossible because you're walking in communion with God and that's what matters most to you more than anything else and relativizes everything else. And then you become like a kind of special forces Christian. I think that's what Paul was. Healthy, strong, trained, ready, knowledgeable of the enemy, useful to the church militant because of your stability and spiritual wisdom and you can carry those who are weak. One of the most startling and intriguing things I've read recently about the Holy Spirit is someone that said that the Spirit doesn't work on in us miraculously, but he works in us organically. What he meant is that the principle of the new life is consistent. It's a system. We're used to thinking that I have a new nature, but we should think I am part of new creation. It's a new nature. Like whole new you know, planets and everything. It's new uh, in that sense. Nature in that sense. And there, the, the main feature of new creation is the increased effects of God's presence. An increased sense of God's presence. There's more of God in a kind of organic, stable way. Miraculous is, is extraordinary. And maybe what we should think is in new creation, extraordinary becomes ordinary. 
The Holy Spirit in you is a constant thing, a constant pressure on your soul, a constant feature. You can't learn all of Scripture overnight, can you? You have to do it incrementally. You don't develop habits of praying for hours like Martin Luther did from one day to another. You have to aim for that. And over time, build yourself up just like you might do with your physical workout. Let me recommend to you Tim Keller's book on prayer. I didn't think it would be substantial, but it's very substantial if you've never read it. It has a lot of things about that 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 might help you. You don't grow a relationship either in an instantaneous way, do you? It's an organic thing. You need to be with the person. You need to observe the person. You need to respond to the person. You need to care for the person. Give time, put effort, be curious. All those kind of things. It's not like the lies of advertising, right? What's the toothpaste commercial? Do you find yourself alone and shunned by members of the opposite sex? Buy our toothpaste and you will always walk in a crowd of them that flock in on you, right? Or like the, you know, do you find yourself ignored by other people? Buy our pants! People will notice you and say, nice pants. Or what's the other, the, the car one, right? They, they always show you these people. Oh, your, your, your relationships with others will be so rich. And your life will be so full of adventure. If only you buy the new Ford Bronco. Right? It's instantaneous. It's this magic bullet. All you have to do is spend $25,000 or whatever it is, and you will have it right away. That is, that is the opposite. That is the opposite of the truth, and especially in the Christian life where it is organic. We have been made participators, says Peter, in the divine nature. We're not mixing our being with God. We're not mingling ourselves pantheistically and losing our identity. He, what it means is that he is the cause of real effects in us. And these effects are developing a likeness. That's participation. Likeness. God-likeness. And that is real piety. And God grows godliness in us progressively, incrementally, organically. Through the Holy Spirit in us, like mortification of sin, we aim to mortify sin in general. We weaken sin in us. We weaken its frequency. We diminish its grip on us. It's organic in that way as we grow in godliness. What is positively growing in us is the increasing dominion over more and more of our being by God himself. We desire what he does. We long for him more. We are good stewards. Well, then the last thing is that being a good steward is about cultivating habits. Think of verse 11. We got someone speaking, speaking as one who speaks God's very oracles. That is something that you need to grow into. Let me tell you, not that I have grown into it, but I aspire to grow into it, and I'm growing into it little by little. You make mistakes. Why are you not supposed to contact your pastor on a Monday? Because he's thinking about all the mistakes he made, standing in front of people saying things. Don't, don't leave him alone on Monday. Don't contact him till Tuesday when he's recovered from doing that. But you, you make those mistakes, and you think about them, and you pray about them, and you grow into the habits. I, I can't make 
decisions fast enough. I need to have good habits when I speak of doing things properly. There's a lot of that going on in the Christian life. Think of courage. If you are truly courageous, then you have to have a habit. You can't stand there and ask, wait, what is the courageous thing to do in this situation? No, you have to instinctively know it so you can think of the logistics of being courageous in a situation. You have to be oriented toward courage and oriented away from cowardice in a way that it's a, it's a habit, it's habitual, so that you can do the courageous thing. Being a good steward of the manifold grace of God means doing it so much that it becomes habitual. The habit of grace, gracious habits. You need grace in the moment, right? And you say, God, help me with this sin, with with grace right now that I don't have, and God can help you. But then if you think about it, and you're a responsible Christian, when you're praying the next morning, you can think, oh, I'm going to be in that situation again. Oh, Lord, help me to get ahead of it. Oh, Lord, give me grace so that, I'm, so that I'm avoiding those things. And you cry out to God for strength. You kind of get ahead of it. And then you, you, this filters into your life, right? You learn to avoid tempting situations. You learn the kind of things that blindside you. You learn about sins that you commit that lead you into others. You start getting an intuition for abo- avoiding bad things, for actually being in what you should be doing. And you cultivate a habit, a habit of operating on grace. Who expects to walk into a martial art and be made a black belt overnight? There are people that expect that, but we don't want to be like those people, do we? You are being called to be a good steward of the infinitely glorious presence of Almighty God in your undeserving being. There is nothing more important and there is nothing more valuable. So I urge you to give yourself to it with zeal and with knowledge. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have made us stewards of the manifold grace of God, of God in us, of the Holy Spirit, that great gift through which Christ rules in his own. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to understand what a good steward is. And you would help us to be good stewards. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.